Good evening, everybody. I just sense that there's such an atmosphere of joy, freedom, liberty. And as I'm sharing with you tonight, I want to ask you that, that you just allow Holy Spirit to cast his light. Let's bring our hearts under that microscope so that he can have a look at it and that we can deal with our hearts tonight. I've called my message Refined and Defined. Refined because when God's fire comes and it begins to burn, it, get rid, it gets rid of the chaff. It gets rid of the things that shouldn't be in our lives. Defined, he speaks into who we are as people, as women. And so I really felt tonight that the Lord wants to deal with the issue of unbelief. And it's something that I've walked with for quite a while. But before I start getting serious, because I can when I start diving into the word, um, I was just remembering just with Holy Spirit, when he begins to use us, and we become so afraid to step out and do, to do things. And I remember years ago when we still did Love Joburg here, um, the one night somebody um, decided that I needed to go with a team of three of us, and we needed to visit a family who was going through a really hard time. And I actually need my phone because I need my Bible. But... I decided that evening that I wanted to bring a really encouraging word to them. And we all know Psalm 139. It's beautiful. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And so I think just in the moment, I decided to read Psalm 39, which you don't want to read. <laughs> this is not the way to encourage somebody. Anyway, I started reading and I said, I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence, I, will, I was mute and silent. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, no, Lord, this is not the word that I want to share. I'm not telling them that they need to muzzle their mouths and stay mute. <laughs> anyway, I continued sharing this passage of scripture, and I was perspiring so much. I just didn't know how to get out of this and how to end it. But I did hear later that it was actually something that they needed to hear. And in my, <laughs> in my um, mistake, God still 
was able to use it. And I think that's what I want to encourage you with. When we are busy with God's word, it does not return void. And so let's start. In our series of discipleship in February, Marcus mentioned two problems we need to overcome. Firstly, our self-centeredness. That God isn't interested in our comfort, but more in our character. The second thing is being our, our spiritual apathy. And I think that's what I want to share on tonight, is that spiritual apathy. Our, our disbelief with things of God. And I believe that tonight... God wants to do a work in our hearts. He says, I'm shifting paradigms. Too many of you are hiding in self-doubt and unbelief. You feel safe by being obscure. God says, my mandate, my commission never changes. Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love on one another as yourselves. I've called you to be distinct, recognizable, illuminated. You are known by name in the kingdom of God. And when I ask, who are you? You downgrade yourself. You see yourself as less than who I say you are. I am defining you. I am refining you. I have given you power. I have given you authority. And you are more than conquerors. I send you to proclaim my kingdom. The cycles of being tossed to and fro by the winds of unbelief and fear I want to cast from you. And so I really believe that that's something that God wants to do with us tonight. He wants to take us higher and get us to a place where we move in Him. Many of us have been praying for God to deal with our hearts. We want Him to presence Himself with us so that He can do the work to define us and to refine us to get rid of the chaff, to get rid of the unbelief, to get rid of the confusion, get rid of the fear that keeps us so sedentary. How does our king rule? He has all power and he has all authority. God is the one who gives us power. And what is power? Because we speak about these things. We speak about power, we speak about authority, but do we really know what that means? Power is capacity. It's our ability. It's what I can step into. He has given us authority, which is our right. It means that I have divine permission to fulfill his commission. So he equips me. He prepares me. God's power can do anything. 
more than what we can imagine. God's authority cannot be challenged or questioned. His authority is absolute. It cannot be challenged and it cannot be changed. Apart from God, we are the only beings in the universe that have been given God's power and authority. Angels have power, a capacity to do things. God sends them. We read about them all through the Bible, where he sends them to do a task. But in that task, he, task, he gives them authority. They do not have the right that we have. They have not been created in the image of God like we have been. I think that is just such an unbelievable truth that we have been created in his image and as such we move in power and authority. God does not use demons. Where do demons get their authority from? They get it from you and I. We give it to them. What level of power and authority do you have? And I really want us to think about these things and not just glibly go past them. How does power and authority operate in your life right now? In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go, therefore, therefore being, I've given you power and authority. I have that. I go with his blessing. I go with his equipping. I go with his power and his authority. If we have all of it, if we have all power and we have all authority, it means somebody has nothing. But we don't live like that. We live like we have nothing. And the enemy has all power over us. And then all of a sudden we read Romans 8 and it says, you are more than a conqueror. And when I read that, I'm like, well, I would just be happy to be a conqueror. <laughs> I mean, what is more? More than a conqueror? So to illustrate the story, I want to use Federer. I'm not somebody that watches a lot of sports. <laughs> I had to go and do some reading, but I understand that Federer is amazing. He has won 20 Grand Slam titles. He is known as the greatest tennis player of our time. Every time he wins, he receives a huge check. Many millions every time he wins. Now, Federer's wife, Mirka, she goes off and she shops at Prada and Gucci and she furnishes her home and her mansion and it's just going all so stunning. And she does all of this because of her husband's victory. 
we have that same privilege. We have Jesus, and he has the victory, and so we can go shop anywhere. <laughs> no, no, just jokes, jokes. <laughs> but that empowers us, because now I understand what is more than a conqueror. I can step into victory. I step into the fullness of Christ, everything that he has prepared for me. We don't have to fight the same fights Jesus did. We just have the privilege to walk into everything he's achieved. The enemy is defeated and God is making us into victorious people to move into a world that is in need. We live in the limited, limitless power of Jesus' resurrection. His name torments the enemy. His name heals. His name delivers. His name restores. And his name saves. What is limitless? It is not being small-minded. I think I have that problem where my expectation is very limited. My unbelief easily pops up. I think being limitless is being daring. And the other day I felt, I just felt the Lord say to me, Zelda, I dare you. I dare you to step out. I dare you to break rules of conformity. I dare you. And I think that's what he's wanting to say to us. Don't live a life of restriction. Holy Spirit wants to immerse us in the limitless power of God's kingdom. He wants us soaked in it. He wants us to be able to move through this world touching lives. Let's begin to ask for bigger things, to walk into who God says we are. We cannot be content to stay in a place of defeat. And unfortunately, I'm someone, I love fight talk. Um, so you can only imagine many years ago what kind of fights Indian I used to have. But I like fight talk. I like, I like to step out and I like to step into. We cannot accept despair and depression as the norm. More has been promised to us through the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of his spirit, much more. And I'm hoping that as we just learn about this, that our spirit is stirred, that our hearts are stirred, that we sit here and we say, I'm drawing the line. No more. I'm not going any further with the things that are just normal. So many believers are being tossed to and fro by the events of the world. They accept so many things 
and live in absolute hopelessness. As children of God, we should walk in the fullness of Christ. If we are people suffering the same way as those who do not know Christ, how will we touch them? How will we lead them to salvation? If we would only set our hearts on Christ. He says we are set apart in Psalm 4 verse 3. The church has to be ready to respond and be prepared to, to meet that need of salvation and desperation. I felt in my heart that I need to be resensitized to Jesus. I need to be resensitized to Holy Spirit. God's command to us never changes. His call never changes. His war plan has never changed. He knows the enemy and he knows how we are to overcome. Tyron always speaks about we know the score at the end of the game. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 10 and 12, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here Paul introduces us to the supernatural. And for ease of communicating, I'm going to refer to it as the spiritual realm. We are told our enemy is spiritual, unseen rulers, unseen authorities, and unseen cosmic powers. It's part of our spiritual apathy. I, I was wondering if that is part of our spiritual apathy, that we lack understanding that we are flesh, but more than flesh, we are spirit. In John 4, 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. First and foremost, we are spirit. I don't, I don't think we know that enough. I don't. Little things come across my path and then I'm suddenly confronted by the world and I'm governed by the world. First and foremost, we are spirit, living in a temporary body because our spirits are eternal. And so tonight I wanna deal with three groups I want to mention about supernatural and our lives being spirit beings. So there's a popular worldview that conflicts with God's kingdom. And that worldview is that everything must have a physical root. And I think this is where we get lost. So that physical root is, if I can smell it, if I can touch it, 
if I can see it, if I can hear it, and if I can, which one did I miss? Taste. These five senses is what the scientists use to establish that the world is material and mechanical. And that truth for them implies that the spiritual realm doesn't exist. And if it does, it has very little impact on this world. And I think we've landed up in, in that same kind of thinking. That if I can't touch it, if I can't see it, if I can't feel it, if I can't hear it, then it's not real. And this is where unbelief comes in. We fall into unbelief because like this worldview, we want to make sense of everything. If it doesn't make sense and if we do not understand it, then we do not believe it. And this lie is what we've grabbed hold of. I think I realized, I said to Henny in church the other morning, I said to him, our desire to understand everything is such a problem. And I think being faced with Google and so much information, it is such a necessity in our lives that we need to understand everything. God didn't call us to understand. He called us to believe. And so, I know, I want to understand everything. I want to work through it. I want to process it. But that's not what God's asking us to do. He's called us to a life of faith. The second group that I want to speak about is the child of God who knows the word, knows the word, but is very suspicious and cynical about the supernatural. And so this influences their belief. And I've struggled with my own unbelief, and I still do. I find that it's a cross that I have to pick up every day and be ready to walk into what God has. In Matthew 8, 5 to 13, the centurion comes to Jesus to heal his servant who was lying paralyzed, but the centurion knew all about authority. He knew if you speak in authority, action will follow. He knew that. And Jesus says to the centurion in verse 13, Go, let it be done, for you have believed. In Matthew 13, 58, we are told that Jesus did not do many works, mighty works there, because of their unbelief. I'm confronted by that specific truth. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Is that happening in my own life that I don't see enough and it's because of my unbelief? 
In Mark 9, 23 to 24, Jesus tells the father of the sick child, he says, and this is Jesus speaking, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus is being pretty sarcastic here. If you can, he's saying, what? Are you asking me if I can? I think that's what we do with him. If you can, really? He says, all things are possible for one who believes. I can. Our language needs to change. The way we speak needs to change. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. In the Gospels, we see all the miracles and signs Jesus performed. We see Jesus turning water into wine, cleanses a leper, heals the official son, calms a storm, he heals two men with demons, a paralytic. There is healing at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. He heals a man that was born blind. He heals the woman with the issue of blood. He heals a man who could not speak. He raises Lazarus from the dead. These are only a few of the signs. They say if they had to write it all down, there would be not enough room for the books. That's how many signs and wonders Jesus performed. What is staggering for me about this is that men and women were walking with Jesus and they saw the signs and the wonders. They saw him heal. They saw him calm the storm. And in verse 37 in John, the, he says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. Unbelief was not only a stumbling block in the day of Jesus, but it is tragically something that is very real in many believers' lives. I think belief is the act to step into simple obedience to God's word and his truth. It's so simple. But we do want to understand. We do need to process. We do need to get answers. Like the father of the sick child, we need to be crying out to God. I believe. Help my unbelief. I just want to share a testimony. Uh, in September of 2019, Henny decided we needed to go to Brazil and get taught in the faith and healing ministry. And so I'm going to be really vulnerable here tonight. And a lot of my close friends know my, know my story. <laughs> but I hope you'll learn from my mistakes. And so... When Henny said we were going to Brazil, oh, I cannot even begin to tell you how my heart sank <laughs> because 
Henny had such faith for the supernatural, and I didn't. I had faith for amazing faith for like people's relationships to be healed and families to be healed. That was where my heart was and my passion. And so I was really confronted by my heart and my unbelief. <laughs> and I thought, oh my word, what is gonna happen to me? <laughs> and so before we went, I asked the Lord to do three things in my heart. I asked him to give me compassion for people. And I asked him to increase my faith, my belief in the supernatural work of what he does. And then the third thing I asked him to do was that I would have boldness just to step out and to confront this thing, this unbelief that just was around me. Anyway, we get to Brazil and knowing how I felt, I really did take like a back seat, but it didn't last very long. <laughs> and this lady, she just like came walking towards me and I needed to pray for her. I couldn't I couldn't go, no, go away. <laughs> so I stood there and I was confronted by her and I thought, oh my word, I don't even know how to pray. I don't know what I'm gonna pray. And I just started crying out to the Lord and saying to him, please will you give me words? I don't know, I do not have faith for this. And as I looked at her, I just was overcome by compassion. And I looked straight in her eyes and I thought, well, step one is I could just let, lay hands on her, stretch out my hand and lay hands on her. And as I stretched my hand out towards her, she collapsed. And I was horrified. I'm like, do I now have to pray for her injuries? <laughs> because there was nobody to help her gently land. And I looked at this and I thought, oh my word, now what? So I went and I just kneeled beside her and I just started speaking scripture over her. And when she got up there, we had this language barrier, so I, we can't even speak to each other, but I could just see in her face that God had touched her. She was touched. And then with the second person, so God got to answering my three little things very, very quickly. By the second person, as he came walking to me with his wife, she would like lead him. So I thought at the beginning, I thought maybe he's blind, you know. So they stand in front of me and the interpreter tells me that... Um, He's very fearful. People have been threatening his life for the last three years. He gets telephone calls where people want to come and kill him. And so his wife would answer all the questions. He, he wouldn't speak. He would just stand like this. 
and he, had, and he had his arms folded. So I unfolded them. And as I unfolded them, I saw all the lesions on his arm. Now, something I didn't tell you about me is I do not like hospitals. I cannot deal with blood. And I do not like sick people. <laughs> Maybe this is where my whole problem came from. But anyway, so here he is standing in front of me. And I thought, Lord, I have to love him. I cannot stand here and not touch this man. He is so ashamed. He was filled with so much guilt. And he just couldn't even look at me. And his wife answered all the questions. He wouldn't speak. And I decided, I just said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if this is contagious. I don't know. But I have to touch him. And I just held his arms. And I just kept speaking. And this poor interpreter just had to like keep up with me. And after about 30 minutes of praying and speaking, and, and I'm like staring at his arms, the healing has to come any minute, but like nothing is happening. And um, Henny came to stand by me. And when Henny came to join me, this man looked up. And there were just tears in his eyes, and he smiled at me. And he smiled at Henny. And I knew maybe his arms weren't healed, but God touched his heart. And he had to shush his wife now because he wanted to speak. And so I was so st stirred by this that I realized my not stepping out prevents people not to experience God's love. It's the simple things. It's the kind word for the person at the till that has to do this mundane job. I love to stand and chat to them. <laughs> I think they probably think I'm really lonely <laughs> at home, but... Everyone I see at the shops, I'm like, I have to have a conversation with you. And I trust that something will happen in those conversations. So then in our final grouping is the biblical truth regarding the natural versus the supernatural. Firstly, the physical world has been created and put together by God from nothing. He created from what was invisible. In Hebrews 11 verse 3, we learn that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We believe God spoke the world into existence from absolutely nothing. The word teaches us that in the supernatural world there are angels who do God's bidding, 
demons who are active in opposing God. We are told to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons in Mark 16, verse 17. Living in the fullness of Christ, experiencing salvations, miracles, healings, and deliverances are essential in our supernatural lives. We are different. We are set apart. Why do we struggle with the reality of the supernatural? Do we struggle because we do not believe in the accessibility of it? For many of us, we see God up there in heaven with the angels, and we don't know where the demons are, but they're somewhere up there as well. God is here. Jesus is here right now. Angels are here. Demons are here. They're right here. We don't have to wait for somebody to beamed, be beamed down. It's not Star Trek. <laughs> Sorry, giving away my age. We are dull to the supernatural side of our walk with God. And when I say dull, I mean our unbelief. Because our unbelief influences, influences our spiritual maturity. And we know that God wants us to all reach that place of maturity. I live from a place of truth that I know what God's word says. I know it. I know what his word says. But... I do not live from a place of encounter. I live from knowledge. I'm slow to prioritize seeing Jesus heal a sinner's heart. I'm slow to see a body healed. I'm slow to see the dead raised. I'm sl slow to see Jesus set people free from oppression and depression. I'm dull to his power because of my unbelief. My quiet time lacks the intention of encounter with Jesus, where I see him and I hear him. And I think this happens because in my mind he is somewhere up there. And I'm too slow to realize that he is here. And as I was preparing this, in my quiet times in the morning, I started saying to the Lord, I want you to step into my room. And I would close my eyes and I would just wait. And he comes. And then I'm overwhelmed by him. Revival and repentance come hand in hand. And where there is an outpouring, Holy Spirit leaves everyone changed. In fact, those who saw the outpouring in Acts thought these people were drunk. I think that's what I would think. I don't really know how I would respond if there was a real outpouring and what is normal for me 
is just shattered. Because that's what we do. We confine God. We confine him by what we think is acceptable and normal and decent and proper. And in my spirit, something is starting to happen that I'm saying, I'm done with this. I want to draw the line. I want to live as someone that is victorious. We compromise so easily. Where is my passion? Where is my desire? Just to set aside all my wants and needs and likes and dislikes. I want to ask you this question, and maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to. So if revival broke out, and men and women were confronted by their sin and rushed to these doors and needed to come in here. I wonder what many of us would do. And if the gospel of Jesus, his saving grace, would take priority or my fears I am tired. I am tired of the normal. I really am. I want to see God move. I want to see his love poured out. I want to see people's sins forgiven. I'm tired of seeing people live in depression. Years and years of depression. Anxiety. Burnout. Really? When are we going to get tired of it? My unbelief, my lukewarmness, my desire to remain obscure, my desire to remain as I am, happy and comfortable. It's a problem. And remember earlier I said revival comes with repentance. We need to repent for our lifestyle. I've been having to do a lot of reading through the minor prophets. And through it, there's a lot of judgment, idolatry, adultery, But with it comes so much hope. We have Jesus who's come to give us that hope. 
And I think that tonight is a time where we can draw that line in the sand. We have everything, everything we need to live fulfilled, empowered. And this isn't a condemnation. I really think that Holy Spirit is wanting to bring us to that edge. Step out, push the boat out. The Azusa Street Revival began with a prayer that said, Lord, bend me. And I feel like that's what we need to do tonight. 